Rangarang, back to Settled Afar. Glad to have you here. This is Corey Garvey coming to you from the sunny countryside of England on a nice, beautiful Friday morning. I've been away for a bit, away from the podcast at least. Life gets a little hectic at times. I've got a, an old nine to five I got to take care of, so I'm happy to be back behind the mic talking about a few things that have tickled my fancy in the last few weeks and we may be able to squeeze in a little conversation with a friend of mine we'll see how things progress anyways wanted to get to a few of these points uh the first one being just around high street high street in england and uh what that really has meant for me coming into this country noticing the stores on a lot of the main streets, how that affects um, the ability for the mom and pop shop to succeed. And for me as a consumer, somebody living outside of the great hub of London to get the, the good stuff, the good stuff that I miss from the big city. I also want to talk about a, a book. I'll call it a little book review of Cal Newport's Deep Work. This is one that I read last year after listening to Cal on Lex Friedman's podcast, and there's a ton of awesome insight and a lot of ways in which just going through my everyday life, I think about this book, I think about the, um, yeah, like when I get frustrated with certain aspects of the modern world, how I can lean back on some of the learnings from here, and it's really improved my life in a very noticeable way and and allowed me to sort of regroup and reset understand why i'm doing what i'm doing and how to get into a good place so get touch on that a little bit but first things first um yeah the the idea of these high street stores so one store in particular really has me divided and that is gail's bakery Gales is a now sort of an institution within London. You find Gales in each little neighborhood. They create some of the best baked goods I've ever had. All different things from loaves of bread to cookies to uh, croissants and delicious coffee. And I have spent time working in these bakeries and, um, you know, just hanging with family, hanging with friends. I was at one last week, and now there's one coming to my town, which the minute I moved here, I was kind of surprised there wasn't one here already. And I'm excited. You know, I'm excited to have the baked goods because I only have a few, uh, I don't eat very many baked goods, but Gail's really knows how to do it. So I'm looking forward to that. But I'm also torn because... There's a coffee shop here that I absolutely love. It's a small coffee shop. Coffee shops seem to be the most common store in the entire town. There's five, maybe six already around the, the high street area. And Gales is going to going to dominate. I mean, there's there's really not much of a question about it. They always serve these really good baked goods. Their coffee is very good. Um, I, the coffee shop I like, Berries, is more of a, a smaller store. You see the guys 
making the coffee, the baristas hustling, getting there, uh, getting there early. They, they churn out a lot of coffees really quick. The coffee itself is very good as opposed to some of the other um, chain places that are in the town. But Gales has figured out the recipe to expand and to scale and to bring a really good product wherever it seems to go. Now, I think that there is a, a side of this, um, you know, maybe the normal capitalist side of this where I say, okay, well, if there's five or six coffee shops and some of them have to go, well, the ones that are going to go are the ones that don't innovate, the ones that don't have the better product, whatever it might be. Um, but then also left thinking, you know, even if Gales is the best, right? Even if everybody in my town wakes up and they say, you know, Gales has that really good cinnamon twist that I really like. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get my coffee. Um, and, and therefore they win out and they, they are the ones here and they've already won out, right? They, they have the space. They're building this little, this little bakery in town as opposed to some, some small entrepreneur maybe who could walk in there. Um, even if it is the best, it's the same as what I get when I go to London now. So when I go to each neighborhood, the best place in that neighborhood is also Gales. And the best place in the neighborhood next door is also Gales. And they are serving very similar stuff in all of those places, which I think just that consistency of um, the same thing everywhere is in itself a problem. Like I would prefer, I like when I go to, um, especially growing up in the New York area, there's not, the, the, it, New York still maintains a lot of mom and pop places throughout the entire New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Long Island area. And you can walk down a street in Queens and you might, you'll probably see a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts, but there's also going to be a small Italian bakery or a Polish bakery. And you can go in there and have a coffee. The coffee might not be the best thing you've had. The cookies might not be the, the one cookie you'd have before you die. But the novelty and the um, sort of the, the attitude that gets brought with that is worth it. And it's worth it because even if Starbucks is delivering a really good product all the time, you want to have uh, variety and you want to have new stuff. <clears throat> so I, I'm torn, you know, I'm torn as to whether I'm happy that Gales is coming in and it's going to deliver me the same consistent, very good, but uh, sort of monotonous product over and over. And I find that we're we're kind of getting there in a lot of spaces, you know, this race to a monotonous end game where because of the quantities and the the, um, the scale that a place like Gales works at, you know, they're they're able to have research and development. They're able to bake at huge amounts of food that allow them um, to have a, a, a ton of really fresh stuff everywhere. Um, they're able to put an investment in one type of product or another that allows them to have more, um, more variety than the mom and pop shop, that it's kind of becoming this situation, especially in England, I've noticed, where everywhere you go, you just find the same stuff. And yeah, is it, is it good? 
Yeah, I mean, generally, if you come and visit, you're going to love Gales. But if it's the only thing you can get anywhere you go, it's not that good. You know, the, the, the day is good, but the life is not so good. And it's sort of that everything is just becoming so organized. You know, there's organization around what stores should go into a main street. There's organization that of, of how the supply chain is working and able to bring things all the way out to where I am from some, you know, headquarters or distribution center that is able to move the baked goods into different places, that the flour and the butter and the milk that Gales is getting is probably coming in at 30% cheaper than the one-off coffee from Berries and what they're able to do in order to make and, and purchase croissants or get their coffee. Um, so it's very difficult for these mom and pop shops to compete. And I'm not sure that there's really a solution here, right? Like you can have the government give huge benefits to companies which are a single uh, location. Um, you can you can have them give them tax breaks and things like that to encourage that and, and allow for that situation. You can also ask the consumer if they appreciate it to pay more, but that is very unlikely to happen. I don't think people really do a very good job of appreciating those single companies and, and paying money um, for those single companies. You know, you, you see what's happened with Amazon and and somehow I can, it, it's not surprising to anybody. And you're asking a lot if you want people to shell out more money when they're already, um, they all want more, right? Everybody wants to consume more. Everywhere I've been around the world, everybody wants to consume more. So how can you ask them, somebody who, who, who simply wants more, to give more of their money to one company and then they'll be able to buy less somewhere else? Um, and I think the funny thing for me is when I think about my time in Turkey, in my wife's hometown and and not so much in Istanbul, but she's from a small town, and I'm sure this is the same in, in small towns throughout the world. The uh, the huge corporate chains have, have come in a little bit less, and especially in parts of Turkey, um, you know, the restaurants, the everything, the, um, the grocery stores are chains, the telecommunications are chains, but... When you want to get a burger or something like that, there's not a lot of chains. You want to get a coffee, it's not going to be a chain store. And it's just a one-off coffee spot. And it's really nice being in that situation because there's this sense of, of craft, of, of craftsmanship that is, uh, it tastes good, you know, and it, and it has a unique side to it. And when we're driving from Tokat to uh Ankara, you know, we, we can stop and every single rest stop is very unique and the food is being grilled by somebody in a very unique way because they haven't been overloaded by the rest stop company that makes every single rest stop have guaranteed food that is exactly the same, which has its values, but at the same time gets boring. And yeah, and it's a lot. And I think lately I've been thinking or, or something I was thinking about is where does this get to, right? What is the future of this? And 
it's kind of encroached on all sides of our lives, right? Like from very early on, I have books in front of me, like, you know, the printing press really pushed this and kicked this over the edge. It's like, no one's writing a book for me. They're not like taking out their pen and paper. They're not even doing, you know, separate type blocks and stuff like that to create me a book. No, I get, I get the same book as everybody else. And you lose a little bit with that. You know, we forget it because we were never around during that, but you lose a little bit. And it, it goes to everything, right? We, we, I, I wear clothes that a million other people own. And I have a phone that half the world owns. And, um, you know, even homes, right? Well, kind of look at, at the homes in, in towns. My, my town is kind of like this, where they were clearly built at the same time. The architecture is all the same. And I'm sure in the insides, they have tons of similarities. And this is even going to keep pushing further. You know, you're going to have a cheaper way to get a bigger home, but it's going to be exactly the same as what everybody else has. And, and there's going to be a sense of, um, you know, if you want to have a, a unique this or that, you have to pay a lot more. And it's kind of relative, but at the same time, it is a lot more than what you can get if you get the, the common made 3D printed house or whatever it is. So then it becomes, how do we create variety, create a novelty of our products without having a um, having to, to, to sort of get rid of the innovation that allows us to make things cheaper, um, which I, I think is going to be a fascinating aspect of this. Like, Sure, Gales is nice. It's nice to have this store come in that's really good that I know from London. But again, when I go to London, maybe that's when I want to have my Gales. I don't want to have it every single day and have this boringness. But what if, you know, Dale's came here and Dale's served a whole different menu? And that menu was built on artificial intelligence, which said, hey, we can create a really good menu in Henley and a different really good menu in London and therefore people will be happy everywhere they go um, I you know you see this a little bit with art I think people want to get computers creating art for us and automating that process of, of art whether it's paintings or eventually books and music um, and a big part of that is the creativity that that the uniqueness, the the variety between these pieces. Because who wants to have, um, I mean, many people do want to have the same piece of art, you know, things like Starry Night or whatever up in their room, but there, there's value in having that original piece of art, right? You, you, you go to a garage sale and you find an oil painting, like that is cool because no one else has it. And I think we're going to get to that point where while we move toward everybody everything being the same slowly it's going to become clear that variety is is valuable and that we can use the innovation that's allowed us to get to everything being the same to kind of come back to a unique side of things and yeah in the meantime i'll be i'll be eating my cinnamon bun both in my town and when i go to london which is nice but um but man, I hope berries can keep up because uh, it'll be a shame if, if there's only one one bakery all over the whole country. 
Next thing I want to talk about is Deep Work, Cal Newport's book about focus and the modern world and why deep work is valuable. Um, first little prelude to that is that I I got fed up late recently with just the the burden of email. Um, if you live, if you work in a, the information space and you live on your computer during the day, you know what I'm talking about. There's just this weight of email that seems to be never-ending and something you always have to manage. I actually have been given a second work email for a project I'm on. So I manage two emails, two inboxes, and it's a lot. And it's something I'm always thinking about. And Cal Newport's book addresses this directly. Why did email come about? Why is email such a burden? And how do we get through not just email, but um, many of the distractions that we face in life in order to get the most out of our careers and out of ourselves in the positions we're in? And I think what I've... Why why this is so important for me is I, I, I know... That when I'm in those modes of um, of getting into deep work, which which is sort of this flow state, this ability to drop into a piece of work for an extended period of time and dive very deeply into that work in a way that all else sort of fades away. And we're not context switching continuously, but rather focusing on the task at hand and delivering a... Um, a valuable piece of work that is, yeah, it's, it's really just about the focus, like focusing on that thing. So he gets into a couple reasons why this is so important. And I, and I want to go through these because it, some of them were very surprising for me. And I kind of have my own, my own thoughts on some of them. First is kind of a point for me, which is that I've noticed and I work in software um, and studied engineering and these are spaces that have problems which sort of build on each other. So you face the the problem of, okay, I'm, I have a, um, let's say a, a house that has a, um, a leak in the bathroom and that leak in the bathroom, I find the leak, I go, I find where it's coming from. Okay, it's coming from the wall. But then when I go into the wall, let's say, and I, I put a camera in there or something like that, I look and I see, oh, wow, there's actually a pipe that comes down and it comes down from the ceiling and I have to go up into the ceiling and then, oh, into the attic. And then I get into the attic and I see that there's a, a hot water heater there and I go into the hot water heater and I see okay, I now have to go into the hot water heater and figure out what's going on in there and so on and so forth. And every time I have to go back to this problem, I have to relearn that whole situation. So it's very important for me to be able to, to dig into the problem and see it through in one sitting. And it's not a, a trivial task to be able to drop back into a problem because our we can't take notes. We, we can take some notes on, on the steps that are involved, but it's also important, you know, our minds work um, very efficiently with this kind of thing. And if we can drop into a problem and see it through as far as possible, 
having to relearn all the steps that brought us to the heart of the problem, the, the real issue at hand, and s- deciding how we want to um, rebuild it or, or what the solution is, that is a very, um, a very important thing to do all at once. And therefore, kind of that first, that first piece of work, right, in order to, um, let's say it takes 10 minutes to figure out where in the, in the bathroom this leak is coming from. And then the next 10 minutes are figuring out which pipe this is coming from in the wall. And then the next 10 minutes are going into the water heater. Well, that final bit of the water heater and that, that work that I'm doing there um, is more valuable than the 10 minutes before it because I have the knowledge of what happened before. I'm able to accomplish more because I realize, oh, okay, I already know that it's only the hot water that causes this problem. And uh, my, my final 10 minutes is kind of the most efficient work that I'm doing because I'm bringing so much to the table. And therefore, getting deeply into a problem has this benefit of um, exponential value over time until you start getting a diminishing return on that because you're tired and you're unable to focus. But um, for the most part, everything I've found if you can drop into a problem and not be uh, sort of distracted, the the output is not linear. You don't get the same thing in the first hour as you do in the second hour. And that's why we want to avoid distractions is, you know, you don't want to be brought back into that low efficiency uh, zone, but rather you want to keep growing and becoming more efficient over time. Um, that's a little bit for me. I think from parts in the book, um, a couple things that are brought up is that the the impact of distraction is just so impossible to quantify. Um, he goes into details of how email came about as an internal tool within IBM, I believe, and how it kind of creates a set of work for work's sake. Um, and you can be working on something and then you get pulled away to your email and then you have to go back. What What really is the the loss in value there. It, it comes down to how much less efficient can you be? Um, how costly is it to actually context switch? Um, how much time um, is wasted because of our expectations that we can always lean on somebody else rather than learning something for ourselves and figuring out the answer for ourselves? Um, we just reach out to somebody else because we believe that they're always going to get back to us. But the two big things that I think really stuck with me and that I think about all the time are the first one being that in the modern information world, especially with the internet connecting workers with their clients or the companies that, that are, um, that are giving them, giving them work. And, um, and that could be in any part of the world is that jobs themselves have become a lot more competitive. And it's become more important to be very good because you are facing competition from all parts of the world. As a software developer, I can be replaced by someone in India, in America, in Argentina. That's not something that would, I would have had to deal with as a worker in England 50 years ago, 30 years ago, because 
there was no way for the output of someone in Argentina to find its way into London. Therefore, I have to be better and better than I would have been 30 years ago because of that stiff competition. And therefore, working deeply and getting a clear understanding of a topic is more important than it's ever been. You want to be the best at what you're doing. Maybe not the best, but you want to have a full grasp of what's going on because you don't have this physical mm, sort of boundary that keeps others out from taking your job, especially as we move to more digital work. But beyond this, it also means that if I'm better at my job, I can get jobs anywhere. So I actually have higher growth potential, higher potential for, for earning based on the fact that I've become better at the job and that digitally I can be linked up with others and other uh, potential clients, let's say, potential companies that I could work for. So if 30 years ago, if I was really good at something, I might only be able to do it for the 50,000 people that are in my town. But now, if that is a, a skill that can be put onto the internet and I can do some freelance work and help a company that is in Japan or in Argentina or wherever, I then have the potential to make even more. The best are able to have even a higher ceiling than ever before. So there's huge value in going very deep if you're in this type of work where your um, output can be transferred so easily to different parts of the world. One, to protect yourself from those coming in, and two, to sort of be that person coming in, to be the one who can be um, utilized elsewhere in the world. But the, the maybe even more impactful on me than that aspect of things is just this idea that doing deep work makes you happier. And it doesn't matter what you're doing. And it doesn't matter uh, sort of the value of the output, right? So you can be sitting there and go to work and answer emails all day, back and forth, context switching, working on extremely um, valuable work in your own head. But that the person who is gardening and is spending a, you know, six hour stretch on a bonsai tree trying to cut every little branch exactly how they want it and making it look just so right that person is going to be potentially and and likely much happier because they are focusing on one single task and they the the mind um enjoys that process of of being uh, within the single task for a long period of time and really digging into every bit of what has to happen. This has, this has totally just altered the way I look at my life and my career. Like, I mean, even right now, I'm sitting here doing this podcast and I love it. I love the, the process of, I put some notes together before this. I walk through it in my own head. I plan out some time for myself. Um, and honestly, I don't even know, you know, who's going to listen to this or if anyone's going to listen to this, but I 
am deeply thinking through these points, you know, about Gales, about this book review. Um, there's no huge impact I'm going to have on the world. I mean, I'm going to go back to my job after this and, and surely impact the world more than through this podcast. But my time and, and being able to dive deeply into something feels just so right. And, and it's, um, it's something that I know that when I'm in a funk and I'm being pulled in different directions by emails, by this and that, you know, sometimes it's just the simple things of, of I don't draw, but I can imagine drawing has this, this aspect to it, you know, sitting down and, and taking out a bunch of pencils and just drawing a picture um, or doing Legos or, you know, for me, sometimes it's just going for a run and keeping a single thought in my head of a project I want to work on, of the podcast. Um, and I can dig into that for, for, for a long time and be extremely satisfied, even though the output might not have a huge impact on the world. Um, and sometimes that's it, right? Like, it, it, I don't think life is much more complicated than that. Like, we don't need to um, give away all of our happiness and, and what is what we want to be doing just to kind of benefit others all the time. Um, so I, I strongly suggest checking out Cal Newport's deep work. He has another book called Digital Minimalism that had a huge impact on me, helped me to get away from social media and uh, reclaim my life. His interview on Lex Friedman is a great place to start if you don't want to read a whole book or buy a book before understanding what you're getting into. Check out Cal Newport on the Lex Friedman podcast. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a phenomenal piece of work, and I think he's just a, a really good thinker. And it's important for everybody to not blindly put time toward things. I think that's you know sometimes it's good to get caught up and 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 live in the moment, but make decisions that are purposeful. And why are we spending our time on a particular activity and the amount of time that we are? And the more that we make those decisions prior to doing it, the less we get sucked into the Netflix scroll or, um, you know, Reddit or whatever it is, the more we can actually um, sort of create the, the, the space in our head and the, the life kind of that we want rather than, than letting some marketing expert do it for us. So that is my review of Deep Work. I give it a, a healthy four stars. Really good book. Um, really, really phenomenal one. And I, I highly suggest checking it out. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Settle the Far. All those groovy tunes you're hearing come from Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates. I'm psyched to have Settle the Far back on its feet. A couple interviews coming in the next few weeks. Between now and then, why don't you share this? Give me a rating, review it, let me know what you think. And until then, keep on keeping on.